From the rule of our Holy Father, St. Benedict, chapter the fourth, Que sint instrumenta bonorum operum continued. To hear the day of judgment, to be in dread of hell, to desire with all spiritual longing everlasting life, to keep death daily before one's eyes, to keep God at all times over the actions of one's life, to know for certain that God sees one everywhere, to dash down on the rock Christ one's evil thoughts the instant that they come into the heart, and to lay them open to one's spiritual father, to keep one's mouth from evil and wicked words, not to love much speaking, not to speak vain words or such as move to laughter, not to love much or excessive laughter, to listen willingly to holy reading, to apply oneself frequently to prayer, daily to confess one's past sins with tears and sighs to God, and to amend them for the time to come. Not to fulfill the desires of the flesh, to hate one's own will, to obey in all things the commands of the abbot, even though he himself, which God forbid, should act otherwise, being mindful of that precept of the Lord, what they say do ye, but what they do do ye not. Not to wish to be called holy before one is so, but first to be holy, that one may be truly so called. But thou, Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. So often as we come to chapter 4 in our reading of the Holy Rule, it strikes me that every one of the instruments of good works merits a special commentary. Perhaps one day I shall have time to write something along these lines. I would especially want to write something about the 50th and 51st instruments which complement our reading of St. John Cassian. To dash down on the rock Christ one's evil thoughts the instant that they come into the heart and to lay them open to one's spiritual father. If we practice these two instruments, we would be spared so much spiritual distress and unhappiness. To dash down on the rock Christ one's evil thoughts, not after a little conversation with them, not after flirting you know, with them, but St. Benedict says the instant that they come into the heart. And
made them open to one spiritual father. The brother who does this will go forward securely and peacefully. The brother who dies with evil thoughts, who tries to take them on, who holds little tea parties with them, will find that there is poison in the teacup. And to lay them open to one spiritual father, this unmasks the ploys and deceits of the devil. I should like to, to prepare a conference on these two instruments. I'm obliged nonetheless to choose from among the array of instruments that St. Benedict sets before us. Today, I want to return to the 56th and 57th instruments to listen willingly to holy reading and to apply oneself frequently to prayer. A better translation of the Latin would be, and I'm very fond of this way of rendering it, to fall These two instruments go together. They are, in fact, two moments of a single operation. Lectione santas ni benter audire, oratione frequenter incumbere. St. Benedict's monks did not ordinarily have the privilege of having each one a book to himself. This is a, a modern luxury. Except during Lent, of course, which season is marked by the distribution of books as set forth in chapter 49. And in these days of Lent, let each one receive a book from the library. Oh, what an extraordinary privilege. I'm receiving a book from the library. I'm being trusted with this. And read it all through in order. These books are to be given out at the beginning of Lent. And we know that there is in fact a ceremony for the distribution of Lenten books that expresses um, the sacred character of this distribution of the Lenten book. The Lenten book becomes a kind of sacramental. Above all, let one or two seniors be appointed to go round the monastery at the hours when the brethren are engaged in reading and see that there be no slothful brother giving himself to idleness or to foolish talk and not applying himself to his reading so that he is thus not only useless to himself but a distraction to others. Of course, uh, before artificial lighting, reading had to be done in the cloister because the cloister provided natural light. Don Elijah and I had the privilege of visiting the cloister of the monastery of Saint-Joseph de Bessillon in which uh, each arch of the cloister um, accommodates a kind of bench and that would have been the practice in the medieval monasteries the reading would be done under the arches in the cloister in order to profit from the natural light. Uh, but you can imagine uh, 
that there would also have been temptations to uh, have a word with this one, a little word with that one, to share uh, a discovery with this brother, to ask a question of this other one, and you see how the time of Lexio Divina could eat easily degenerate into uh, a time for uh, chatting. And so uh, St. Benedict wants there to be vigilant seniors who will see to it that the brothers are about their reading. Of course, in St. Benedict's day, uh, the monks would have read in a low tone of voice, audibly, uh, the kind of reading that we moderns practice. Uh, visual, silent reading uh, would have been unknown to the ancients, like little children beginning to read. They would have to sound out uh, the words, and hearing the words was just as important, if not more important, than seeing them. Uh, seeing the word was only a means to hearing the word. We don't have that today. We don't often think of that. You know, when a little child is learning to read, one writes C A T on um, what in my day used to be called the blackboard. I don't think they exist anymore. But C-A-T, the child would go K-K-A-A-T. And then, to his joy, discover that he had just found the secret of the word cat. Uh, I can imagine that when uh, Brother Ignatius learned to read that he learned to say cat, it was a, a day of great joy in his life. <laughs> so, uh, this... Um, uh, reading in order to to hear the word. So one can imagine that the, the cloister uh, in former times would have been rather like a beehive with this, this buzzing of the monks reading the sacred texts. As a rule, St. Benedict's monks listened to holy reading. St. Benedict would have his monks listen to holy reading libenter, that is, willingly, gladly, eagerly. Public reading was considered a special skill and an art. It was the practice to have certain monks chosen for the task by reason of their agreeable voice and elocution to read while all listened attentively and in a perfect silence. You have only to look at the oration for the blessing of the reader on Sunday. It alludes not only to the reader's skill, but asks uh, that he have humility to accompany his skill in reading, lest he grow proud and vain, because it was a special skill and an art. St. Benedict makes a point of saying, in chapter 38, that the brethren are not to read or sing according to their order, but such only as may edify the hearers. In this matter, as in all things, St. Benedict recognizes a diversity of gifts within the monastic family. Listen to the sentence from chapter 35. Fratre 
Eines alter non per ordine legat aut cantent set qui edificant audientes. There are in every monastery the legendes, the cantantes, and the audientes, the readers, the chanters, and the listeners. These form together a single body in the Holy Ghost. Now, says the Apostle, there are diversities of graces, but the same Spirit. And there are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, the same God, who worketh all in all. And the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man unto profit. The monk who reads for his brethren enlightens them and builds them up. I speak here not only of the liturgical reading, properly so called, the monk who sings the lessons or the epistle, mass, or the monk who sings the gospel, but I also uh, refer to the brother who reads at Kalman from the conferences and of course the brother who reads during meals. The monk who chants for his brethren gladdens their hearts and confers beauty on the divine service. This is why I do whatever I can to foster development of this gift uh, among you. The monk who listens for his brethren becomes a storehouse of wisdom, a receptacle of the word, a living memory. Cashin says, sometimes a verse of any one of the Psalms gives us an occasion of ardent prayer while we are singing. Inflamed prayer, incandescent prayer. Sometimes the harmonious modulation of a brother's voice stirs up the minds of dullards to intense supplication. We know also that the enunciation and the reverence of the chanter adds greatly to the fervor of those who stand by. Already Cashin says this. It is a pity that today, and this more and more reading, has become a private activity rather than a corporate one. Each man now tends to read for himself. And, and this, this individualistic mentality is sometimes even carried into the monastery so that even in choir uh, brothers singing the psalms as if they are each one alone uh, chanting for himself, each man chanting for himself. No, uh, we form a, a body, uh, and so this is why I insist again that each man listen to his neighbor, uh, to his right, to his left, uh, and uh, produce a single sound. This is very important, I return to it again, uh, that, that no man kind of charge forward or, or take over, but that, uh, that there be as much 
listening as there is producing sound. I've said to you before that I wish I had little, little um, dials to control the volume so that I could, I could have a little, a little knob with the brother's name on it and I could turn it up when needed and turn it down when needed and still have a panel uh, of sound controls so that I could... Uh, don't, don't people have this? Are there not instruments that people who, who, who make um, playing music in public places, do they not have a kind of, yeah, it would be very useful in the monastic choir, you see. I think sometimes brothers need to be dialed down and sometimes they need to be dialed up. And so, uh, we do not uh, chant each man for himself uh, without taking into account uh, the rest of the choir. But this comes from uh, the modern uh, practice of, of privatized reading. Apart from the proliferation of printed books, there is the laptop computer, the notepad, the Kindle, the smartphone, and God knows what else. All of these electronic devices represent a real danger of self-isolation and in the end of dehumanization. They are uh, the, the equivalent um, uh, in the sphere of, of reading of uh, fast food. Uh, the, the fast food culture privatizes eating. I'll grab a bite on the run. What a terrible thing to say. How utterly dehumanizing. And so the whole social, uh, corporate nature of, of taking a meal together uh, is, is threatened uh, by this culture of catching a bite on the run. A terrible thing. And, and something analogous is going on uh, with the laptop, the notepad, the Kindle, the smartphone, and so forth. The abbot must be extremely vigilant lest a worldly technological individualism supplant the ancient traditions of corporate reading and corporate listening. It is necessary that we in the monastery keep alive the tradition not only of individual reading from books, but also of corporate listening while one reads for all. We do this first of all in the Divine Office, then in Chapter, in the refectory and in the reading prescribed for the end of the day, just before company. St. Benedict says, Therefore, on all days, whether of fasting or otherwise, let them sit down altogether as soon as they have risen from supper, if it be not a fast day, and let one of them reach the read the conferences of Cashin or the lives of the fathers or something else which may edify the hearers. Not, however, Pentateuch, nor the books of kings, for it will not profit those of weak understanding to hear those parts of scripture at that hour. There are also some pages in the conferences that we could, I think, eliminate or skip over. They can be read privately, but I'm not sure it's entirely helpful. St. Benedict says, If it be a fast day, then a short time after Vespers, let them assemble for the reading of the conferences, as we have said, 
four or five pages being read, or as much as time allowed, so that during the reading all may gather together, even those who may have been occupied in some work and join them. St. Benedict attaches great importance to coming together for this corporate listening to the reading. This being said, there is also a place, and a very large place in Benedictine life, for solitary reading. Already St. Benedict recognized this solitary reading because in chapter 48 he says, And when they rise from table after the sixth hour, let them rest on their beds in perfect silence, or, if anyone perchance desire to read, let him do so in such a way as not to disturb anyone else. And our statutes address this kind of reading. Statute 120a. The monks will not begin reading or studying without first kneeling to invoke the Holy Ghost and the Blessed Virgin Mary. If the text to be read is sacred scripture, they will kiss the page and remain kneeling until they have read the first few verses of the text. The Holy Ghost and the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, because of this contact with the Word, so that every time we kneel uh, to receive the Word of God, We are in some way brought into the mystery of the Annunciation and we participate in some manner in the adorable mystery of the Incarnation. So that's the reason for this invocation of the Holy Ghost and the Blessed Virgin Mary. If prayer is, as Passion tells us, a fire in the heart, reading provides fuel for the blaze. When a brother tells me, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, able to, I'm not able to pray at adoration, I go to adoration and I'm, I'm, I'm dry and, and distracted and I feel so sterile. Well, more often than not, that state of soul can be traced back to a, a fallen away from reading. The mother who stops reading will soon stop praying. And the monk who stops praying will soon give up reading, or as the case may be, even listening attentively to reading. St. Benedict would have his monks fall frequently to prayer. Oratione frequente incumbere. This is but the application of what our Lord says in the Gospel. And he told them a parable showing them that they ought to pray continually and never be discouraged. But what the Apostle teaches, pray without ceasing. Over time, a monk begins not only to fall frequently to prayer, he begins to pray always, with every breath that he draws and with every heart beat. This is the way of life to which we aspire. Perpetual adoration, which is Mother McTilt says, is not about staying always at the column, but it is about living in constant awareness of the adorable presence of 
God. Mother Mathilde's understanding of perpetual adoration goes back to uh, Cassian's teaching, uh, to the whole teaching of the Fathers on prayer without ceasing, the prayer of the heart. The monk who prays always will live at every moment in the presence of God. The monk who lives at every moment in the presence of God will adore always. For a man cannot be aware of the presence of God without adoring. This was the experience of Jacob. After having fallen asleep, Jacob dreamed, and he saw the Lord leaning upon a ladder in heaven. The Lord said to Jacob, I will be thy keeper whithersoever thou goest, and will bring thee back to this land. Neither will I leave thee till I shall have accomplished all that I have said. <laughs> At this point, having heard the voice of the Lord, as we do in reading, Jacob woke up. And when Jacob awaked out of sleep, he said, Indeed, the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And trembling, he said, How terrible is this place! This is no other but the house of God, and the gate of heaven. After this experience, Jacob began, I think, to live always in the presence of God. And living always in the presence of God, he could not but adore God at every moment. This is the monastic journey, awaking to the presence of God, more often than not through reading, and the beginning here below frequent prayer of the perpetual adoration that is the life of the blessed.